The scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let, him, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times what was sown. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you've given to us today. And um, this passage is really about hearing your word and encountering you. Um, so, Father, we ask once again that you would bless us. Help us to hear, because if you do not speak this morning, we will not be able to hear you. So, bless this time, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, in May of 1943, during World War II, Britain's Royal Air, Fo- Air Force undertook Operation Chastise. Uh, This was a daring mission to destroy several hydroelectric dams in Germany's industrial sector. And if they could successfully pull this off, uh, there was the potential to cripple Germany's heavy industry and shorten the war. But there was a problem. Um, The dams were deep inside enemy-held territory, and they were extremely well defended. So a conventional attack would not work. All the planes would get shot down. So what did the British do? Well, led by their uh, 24-year-old wing commander, the RAF flew deep into Germany in the dead of night at altitudes of 100 feet or less the entire way. 
They flew low underneath the radar to avoid detection. And then when they got to their targets, they dropped even lower. At 60 feet off the ground, 240 miles an hour, they released their bombs. And the bombs that were specially designed skipped over the water like a stone and smashed into the dams and destroyed them. And the mission was a success. I tell that story because a very similar thing is happening in this passage. Jesus is telling a parable. And parables are designed to fly under the radar. They're designed to slip past the defenses of the hearers and get you drawn in to follow along until at the end Jesus turns it and there's something surprising that hits the heart. That is what he's trying to do in this passage, and that's what I want us to see. What's interesting here is how this passage talks about Jesus' message to other people. If you all remember, Mark is a pretty action-oriented gospel, and Jesus has done a ton of stuff. And it's all about what he does. He immediately does this, he immediately does this, he immediately does this. Um, But then we come to chapter 4, where we are now, and in this chapter, Jesus speaks. And it's a very long discourse about what he said. There's only one other chapter in Mark, uh, chapter 13, where this happens. And because it's so unusual, these chapters should make us stop and take notice and see what's going on. Verse 2 of this chapter, so Jesus is speaking to a crowd, says, He taught them, the crowd, many things by parables. And actually, at the end of the chapter, uh, in verses 33 and 34, it said, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without a parable. Now, when we think of parables, generally, we tend to think of really good stories, right? Illustrations that clearly illustrate the point. Um, in fact, we probably a lot of times think that uh, the, you, you, the pastors could maybe do with a few more of those in the sermon because they really help you follow along and get deeper in. And that's part of the reason people flock to Jesus, right? Because he spoke so clearly. Because he was talking about what was going on. Um, what's interesting is that's not what Jesus does with his parables. His parables were designed a little bit to confuse, to perplex And therein lay their power. Think about um, Nathan, the prophet, confronting David in the Old Testament after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed Uriah. Nathan comes along and he tells David a parable. He says there was this man who had this lamb and he doted on it and it was like a child. It was part of his family. And then there was this other wealthier man who had all the riches he could possibly want. And he took that first man's lamb and killed it uh, to serve to his guests for his feast. And David was incensed, and David was furious, and then Nathan said, you are that man. He drew him in, and there, there was a turn at the end that caught him. That's what Jesus is doing here. If you look at verses 10 through 12, here's what Jesus says. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. To those outside, everything is imperable so that they may be ever seen, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, I'm not going to 100% deal with those verses right now. We're going to pick them back up at the end of the sermon. But what I do want us to see is Jesus is saying the parables are going to do something. To those to whom the, 
mystery of the kingdom of God is given, the parables are going to reveal things. But to those outside, they're going to confound and confuse. This is important because of where we are in Mark. Uh, We've been talking a lot about what Jesus is doing and bringing in the kingdom of God. And it's all about his authority. He's able to cast out demons. He's able to heal. He speaks with authority such that people are astonished by him. They've never seen anything like it. But just in the previous chapter, we've been encountering opposition. You had the Pharisees that are strongly opposed to Jesus, so much so that actually in chapter 3, verse 6, it says that the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And then there's other opposition. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 21 says that his family went to take charge of him because they said he is out of his mind. He's crazy. And the disciples would have been asking the question, why, if all of what Jesus is saying is true, if he really is the Messiah, if he really is bringing in the kingdom of God, he's doing all these incredible miracles that no one can deny, And you have these crowds following him that are so big that uh, Jesus has to sit in a boat to give this sermon so that everyone could hear him. Otherwise, not everybody would be able to hear. He's getting this huge reaction. And if it's true, why the opposition? Um, If we're honest, we have to ask ourselves that same question, right? I don't know if you've ever tried to share the gospel with someone who just isn't having it. And they just don't seem to care. And that can be confusing sometimes. They're like, this is the single best thing I could possibly give you. I'm telling you that Jesus came into the world to save sinners and he's died for our sins. And it just is like hitting a brick wall. This parable shows us that Jesus fully expected that when he spoke, there would be at least three groups of people who reacted to him in ways that really end up being not a reaction at all. They hear him, and they don't really hear. Their response would fall short of his saving grace. And as we go through this parable, and as Jesus would tell it, it becomes clear who's going to respond to him And who won't? The reaction to the parable shows the status of the heart. The reaction of the parable shows the status of the heart. So, okay, there are these various reactions. What are they? Well, let's look at the parable itself and see. Um, Verse 14. Jesus says, The farmer sows the word, which is the, the message of the kingdom of God, the proclamation of the gospel. Some people are like seed upon the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Uh, There are some people where if, like we already said, if they hear the gospel, it has utterly no effect whatsoever. It just bounces off. And what the Bible uh, has a term for this, which is a hardened heart. In fact, that's what Jesus accused the the Pharisees of in chapter 3. Uh, where Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and said, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or kill? But they, the Pharisees, remained silent. 
And Jesus looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their hardness of heart. So why a hardness of heart? Well, we have to rem- an interesting thing here is we have to remember that this is not a neighborhood that the sower is just out walking around in, right? There's no paved sidewalks like we have here. This would have been a field in first century Israel. And the path actually would have been formed by the sower. Over years, over time, he would walk along and he would sow the seed. And eventually his, uh, his own feet would just trod down the path and slowly compress it and harden it. And I think we're tempted to think that those who have hardened hearts to the gospel are those outside, right? Those who are hostile to Christianity. Those who just don't want anything to do with it. And that's 100% true. But is it possible that this passage is also talking about those people who have heard the word of God so much and so often that their ears just shut it up? People who are so familiar with it that their hearts have become hardened and the seed never really took root in the beginning anyway. It was never really there, but since it was never there and just hearing it and that path being trod over and over and over and over again and the heart just becomes hard. And actually, um, if you guys have eyes to see, you, you can see this on any given Sunday whether it's here or someplace else, where there are thousands of people around the world where the word of God is being preached and proclaimed, and we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then people leave, and they go home, and even a half hour later, it's really hard to remember what they were talking about in the service. And then two hours later, it's completely and utterly gone because it never really penetrated you know, it never fails to amaze me how many people uh, talking to them about the gospel and the, what Christ has done. And the response is ap- apathy or the response is, oh, that's right. I just need to change my behavior. Or I just need to do this thing differently. I need to do better. It doesn't matter how much you know about Jesus. It doesn't matter how much good you do unless the hard ground of your heart has been Loud up by God. The seed of the gospel is not going to take root. What's interesting is, God often does that through brokenness. Uh, my own experience is certainly that God had to break me of my pride and put me through difficult situations so that my heart would be softened to hear what he has to say. So this is the first type of soil, the hardened heart. Stop and consider, has what I've just been talking about described you this morning? Jesus doesn't stop there, he moves on. If we look at verse 16, Jesus says, Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Um, Now, what's interesting here is what's the mark of this person? They at once receive it with joy. Kind of sounds like the exact opposite reaction of the ones we were just talking about, right? Uh, No effect, joy. And 
we have to ask, is it joy a mark of the true Christian? Absolutely, 100%. I mean, we just sang the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? If you've never had joy in Christ, something is deeply wrong. But if you only have joy, if that's the only mark that you have, there's also something deeply, deeply wrong. A, uh, a pastor once told me a story, true story, of a uh, pastor that he knew who was uh, at a big conference, Christian conference in Britain. And this was back before there were televisions around, you know, where you'd be videoing the guy and the screens would be projected. It was just sound. And it was huge, thousands and thousands of people there. And this guy preached. And apparently it was an amazing sermon, uh, just absolutely fantastic sermon, talking about the gospel and talking about Christ. And then, you know, everybody's filing out and the, the preacher is leaving. And because there were no video screens the people could hear him, but they didn't recognize him. They didn't know what they, he looked like unless they were close enough. And as he's walking out, uh, he was just walking next to somebody who was just so overcome with joy, who turned to the guy, not knowing he was the preacher, and said, wasn't he wonderful tonight? And you know what the preacher did? He stopped and said, Who? It's possible to hear a sermon and respond, wow, wasn't that great? Or also, wasn't he, the preacher, great? And not have your heart at all drawn to Christ. The reaction is... um, the preacher was interesting, the music was uplifting, the fellowship was great, but walking out, it's the exact same reaction as leaving a movie theater and being like, that was a great movie, I can't wait to see that again. And no lasting heart change occurs. And don't get me wrong, I mean, we should love the singing, we should love the fellowship, we should love the sermon, but we should love those things because in them Christ is proclaimed and we draw closer to God and to each other and that should be the depth. You see, the rocky soil wasn't a soil with rocks in it. It was a soil, there was a layer of good soil and then it was a rocky substratum underneath. The whole thing underneath was rock and that is why the roots couldn't go in. Unless the word of God has penetrated your heart and broken up the rocky substratum underneath, you're never going to understand that what grace heals is sin and that Jesus is actually your savior. And without that root, that is why Jesus says when trouble or persecution comes, they quickly fall away. We talked about Polycarp before here. He, is, he was the first bishop of Smyrna. He was actually ordained and installed by the Apostle John, who he was a disciple of. And um, he's famous because he's one of the Christians that we have, one of the earliest records of his martyrdom, which took place in AD 155. And he was brought before the Romans, and um, he was given the option to recant, to deny Christ and save his life. The proconsul... Uh, the Roman official went back and forth with him for a while, and eventually it came to this. The proconsul urged him, saying, Swear, and I will set you at liberty. Reproach Christ. Listen to Polycarp's response. He was really old at this point. Eighty-six years I have served him, 
and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Would that be your reaction? What is the cry of your heart? Because Jesus talks about trouble and persecution coming, and the rest of Scripture is clear that trouble and persecution are going to come. It may be external persecution. In our country, we don't suffer from that nearly like some of our brothers and Christians around the brothers and sisters around the world do. But we certainly have trouble. We have disappointments. Life doesn't necessarily turn out the way you thought it was going to turn out. When the troubles come, what will be your reaction? The troubles will indicate where your heart truly is. But that's not, again, where Jesus leaves us. He moves on. There's a third type of soil found in verse 18 and verse 19. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, this looks very different from the previous ones. The word sprouts and it takes root, and the soil, in a sense, is actually good. It can support the, uh, the seed. The seed grows, but it doesn't grow alone. There's other stuff in the soil. There's weeds, and there's thorns. And just like the seed, these things may seem small at first, but if they're left to grow up, eventually, slowly, unless they're dealt with, they will choke out the word. You see, unless there's weeding in our lives, the word will never truly bear fruit. Sometimes uh, we don't like to hear messages like that in our culture specifically today, right? We want to only talk about the positive things. We don't want to talk about the hard things. We don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to talk about hell or any of that sort of stuff. And that's understandable. I mean, hard things are hard, right? But what Jesus is saying here is that it doesn't just matter how you start. It matters how you finish. Because unless the weeds are rooted out, they have the potential to choke out the word of God. What are these weeds? Well, they really can be a whole wide range of things. I mean, the applications here are enormous. But what Jesus says is they're the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. Those are all pretty big, right? Life has a ton of worries, and we all have desires for other things. Um, The key here is, unless there's a sense of Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and he is my all in all, and I'm willing to give up everything to follow him. It's going to cost me everything, but I'm okay with that. It might not be long before weeds start to grow up. So we have to ask ourselves again, what are the potential weeds and distractions that are in our lives? Um, Again, there could be way too many to enumerate. It could be something huge, um, something massive, some big dream that you have that you're not willing to give up. It could be something tiny or small, something as simple as 
what were you doing on Saturday night that kept you up so late that you were exhausted when you came to church on Sunday and couldn't hear the word of God? It could be anything. So I encourage you to ask yourself, what are the things in your life that you're not willing to root out? What are the things you're not willing to root out? Now, that was all pretty heavy, right? I mean, we have all these different soils, and if you're like me, as I was prepping the sermon this week, I had to acknowledge that there are bits and pieces of all of those in my heart. I had to do a heck of a lot of repenting this week, right? Fortunately, Jesus does not leave it there. Look at verse 20. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus left the good soil to the end of this passage. He talks about all the ways that we can fail to hear him, but he ends with the good soil. And the immediate question is, how do we know which soil we are, right? Like, I mean, I just said that I have bits and pieces of all of these in me. Well, I think there are two things. The first is pretty straightforward. It's what we already said is, um, examine yourself. Are you bad soil? Do you have aspects of these things within you? Really search your heart and do a spiritual checkup and ask the Lord to show you, and if they are, address them. But the other one is actually one Jesus gives us here. Again, verse 20. Hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. You know, what's interesting is if you actually go back up to verse 10, it says, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. It's about hearing the word of God. It's about diving into it. It's about accepting it and asking the Lord to take you deeper into it and and showing it to you. You see... We've been talking all this time about the soil, and that's because that's what the parable is talking about, is the soil. But the passage is about the sower, who, in a sense, could be anyone who's spreading the word of God. In a sense, we're all sowers. But in the context of the passage, the sower is Christ. The question is, what is your reaction to Jesus? Because the soils, the bad soils, all look a little bit different. They all manifest themselves differently. But at the root, they all have the same problem. Which is coming face to face with Jesus and turning away. Coming face to face with Jesus and not pressing further into him. Coming face to face with Jesus and not delighting ourselves in him. When Jesus told this parable, he wasn't just giving a convenient illustration about what he's doing. He was actually describing what he was doing in his ministry. He was going around, and he was sowing seed by proclaiming the word of God and building his kingdom. And as he was giving this message... In the crowd he was talking to were people with all of the different possible reactions. I told you we were going to come back to it. 
Let's look back again at verses 10 through 12. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. That's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah chapter 6, if you're unfamiliar with it, is an amazing passage where the prophet Isaiah is, giving, is given his call to ministry and he's drawn up into the throne room and he sees God. And let me um, read a couple verses that take place right before the passage that Jesus is quoting. Woe to me, I, Isaiah cried. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. The secret of the kingdom of God that was given to them was that the king was standing before them right there and right then. That same God, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty who Isaiah saw and trembled was standing before them proclaiming his message. And what's amazing is that's the king who came to redeem a people for himself. He came to live and he came to die because he desired for people to be with him. And the secret of the kingdom of God is clearly proclaimed here in the scriptures. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is our response going to be? What is our response going to be? And you know, I haven't given a ton of application here yet because beyond the examining yourself. Okay, we've done all this. What do we do? Well, it's actually pretty simple. Because the problem of all of these soils is fundamentally the same. The solution is the same. I'm going to close with this. This is from Isaiah chapter 55. Later in the book of Isaiah, and this is what God says. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy, buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spread money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. Ask the Lord to open your eyes. Ask him to draw you closer to him. Ask him to help you to delight yourselves in him because he is glorious Ask him to show you the truth of what Christ has done on the cross. And the promise in Isaiah 55 is that your soul will delight in the richest affair and that your soul will live. May God grant us all the grace to respond with good soil rather than bad soil. May he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um... (laughs) Thank you for sending your son. And uh, this was a, a somewhat sobering passage, Father, but I pray that you would encourage us. 
because you have given us this passage so that we might examine our hearts and draw closer to you. And Father, thank you for the free invitation that is found in your Son who came and died for us. Help us to respond now in song and in praise. In your name we pray. Amen.